1: Hi there, and welcome to the SyrupCast. If you're tuning into the SyrupCast for the first time, it's a podcast by Mobile Syrup, Canada's largest independent tech website, in which we look back at the week that was in Canadian telecom and tech news. This is episode 187. Wow, that's a lot of episodes. And we're recording it on Thursday, December 20th, 2018. I'm your guest host, thanks Igor, Daniel Bader. On this week, we plan to look back at 2018 smartphone releases. I think it's fair to say that by all accounts, it was a stellar year in terms of new devices. Whether it was old standbys like Apple and Samsung or Chinese challengers like OnePlus and Huawei, consumers in the market for a new flagship device had so much choice. So to help me count 2018's best releases, we're taking it back to 2015. Yes, I was the First person to do a Syrup cast, and I hosted it with Douglas Soltis. If you've been listening for many years, we talked all about smartphones, and things have changed a lot in the last three years. So, joining me is current Mobile Syrup managing editor Patrick O'Rourke. What's up, Daniel? Good to have you back. Thanks for having me back, as well as Mobile Syrup features and reviews editor Igor Bonifacek. How's it going, Igor? Man, I did not know I write such cringy coffee. <laughs> You mean I didn't own the copy? I, think yeah, I, I mean you owned well. it. I just made it super I, cringy. I think you did a
0: good job. What was fascinating though,
2: it was like your words coming out of Daniel's mouth. Right. It was like you're the puppeteer behind the
1: scenes. Yeah. Let me let me tell let me tell you though, just um, to go off script for a second, um, the fact that you have a script is mm. so much more profesh than what we ever did. So shout out Igor for actually having you know your stuff together. Um, all right. So in terms of format, this is how we're going to do it. We're going to start with Patrick. We're going to share our three favorite phones of 2018, and then we'll proceed uh, through everybody. Mm-hmm. And then we'll count it down to number one. How's that? Sounds great. Works all right. for me. So Igor, you're going to take over now because this is your show. Mm-hmm. Um, but Pat, we'll start with you. What is your number three favorite device of 2018? My number
2: three favorite device of 2018 was the iPhone XS Max um, I hate the name. I still think it's an insane change for Apple to drop the Plus and change it to Max. It sounds like a Marvel versus Capcom game rather than a, a, a smartphone. That was kind of the joke that I've been repeatedly making. Um, but there was a time where uh, I kind of got tired of really big phones. I, I wanted something that was a little smaller. And I think the XS Max, despite being 6.5 inches, kind of brought me into the fold with appreciating larger phones again and made me question like, why tablets even need to exist. Um, just because it fits in the same form factor as the iPhone eight plus, but the screen is roughly an inch bigger and that, that doesn't sound like a lot, but when you actually have the phone in your hand, it feels big, but not too big. Um, that said, like someone who, who doesn't like big phones, they're, they're definitely not gonna, gonna want to go near this one. Um, so that, that was a big part of it for me was, was the screen. It also has the A12 Bionic, which is Overkill, um, for the most part, um, depending on what you're doing with your with, with your smartphone. And in general, I've had a pretty good experience with it. I think it was a bit of a pedestrian update for Apple. Um, it was obviously a year where they weren't doing anything uh, huge in terms of updating the device. Um, but it was a competent update to
0: uh, last year's iPhone 10. Anything to add, Daniel? What are your thoughts on the...
1: You know what? I bought it. I actually, I had, was, I was like day one buyer of the XS Max. I was like, okay, I'm going to experiment with this new form, like this new size. Did you line up?
2: Patrick. <laughs> <laughs> I had to ask. No. no.
1: I was like a week late. I had, I had a baby like a week after, a week before the phone came out. That's uh, fair. So not only did I not line up for it, I didn't even go to the Apple store for it. I ordered it online and got that like, unmarked box in the mail because Apple's very careful about how they ship their products. Cool. Um, it's not from Apple. It's from, like, some random company in Markham, uh, if you live in Ontario. Anyway, the phone was massive. It was, the like, I couldn't use it. I, I actually thought it was so big and so un, ungainly that I just didn't want to use it at all. So I returned it and bought the iPhone XS. And I, I like it, um, you know. But... Um, yeah, I mean, it's a big iPhone. I just don't think they use the space very well. Like, the screen is so big, and yet the um, the size of the icons is massive and everything else is bigger. But, like, at the time, I guess I hadn't... Uh, none of the developers had updated their apps yeah, to take advantage of it. So I guess now it must be different.
2: Yeah, most developers have adapted the the UIs of their apps to, to fit the display. Um, and, I mean, I had the same reaction as you when I tried it at Apple's event. Um, I think in my, like, hands-on preview, I talked about the fact that like the phone feels enormous. I couldn't hold it in one hand. It felt like too much. Um, and I would say that I even felt like that a little bit after I finally got my hands on one for a longer period of time. But now when I pick up the regular-sized uh, iPhone XS, which I think John has the one that we, we got mm-hmm. to the office, um, it feels tiny to me. Uh, but I do agree that Apple definitely could have done a little more with the screen real estate, and I'm hoping that's something that we see in the next uh, iOS iteration.
0: If I can, the only thing I will add is none of this is as bad as the iPad Pro and trying to use apps like Instagram on the iPad oh, Pro. Oh, man. Yeah. Uh, that is so bad. Check out my Twitter if you want to see what that is all about. But I'm sure most people, if you've ever used an iPad, you know what I'm talking about.
2: I don't understand how there's not a native
1: Instagram iPad app yet. Especially well, since there's one for Windows 10. Yeah. It's insane. <laughs> I don't yeah. get it. Um. All right, Daniel, what's number three for you? All right, so I'm going to, um, because uh, producer extraordinaire Samir is not on the show, I'm going to actually give this one. Uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to shout this out to him because mm-hmm. this is my number three. Uh, it's the Sony Xperia XZ2 Compact, mm. uh, one of my favorite small phones ever and one of my favorite phones of the year. It was everything I wanted in a phone, period. It just happened to be in a really small form factor, um it performed insanely well the fact that it has a camera shutter is great but the camera shutter on the on this phone is not undermined by the fact that it's its larger counterpart the XC2 is super slippery and really difficult to use so you can actually hold on to this phone you can you know palm it because it's it's small the back is made of plastic so it doesn't slip out of your hand so you can use this great camera as a proper camera with a shutter button, which I really appreciate. Uh, and overall, the, the lower resolution screen means the Snapdragon 845 just screams. Um, and I really like Sony's skin. I think it's not even a skin anymore. It's just, you know, it's basically stock Android. It's shipped uh, with Android 8.0, 8.0 Oreo, but it got updated to Pi pretty soon after Pi got released for the Pixel. Um, and overall, I just think Sony is the most underappreciated OEM doing business today. I, I can't disagree with that.
2: Samir liked that phone so much that I think it's included in his favorite things of 2018 list. Yeah, he, he's nodding at me and giving me the thumbs up. So amazing radio, yes. Yeah, he he definitely really liked that phone too.
0: Uh, so the only thing I will add to this is if you want to take. If you want to go digging for the archives, one of my favorite pieces that Daniel wrote for Mobile Syrup back in the day was was essentially like why I love the Xperia Compact. Um, and at that point I can't remember which one it was. This was many years ago, many moons ago. Um, but I imagine a lot of what he said now, he said then.
1: Yeah, I mean that's Sony's hubris. Yeah re- releasing five phones every year and none of them are it's so iterative. It take it takes them Years to get to to you know leap over generationally their predecessors, but this was a leap year. I mean, this was a significant upgrade um, in all respects. Um, and the one thing that I think went unnoticed was the Sony actually stopped using its own image signal processor in mm-hmm. the Xperia XZ XZ2 line and started using Qualcomm's. Yep. And the one in the 845 is so much better than whatever Sony was using in previous generations that even though the sensor and lens is uh, are unchanged in the XE two. I'm just going to say XZ because that's what I say. Sorry. Um, the photos coming out of the camera are way better.
0: Mm-hmm. Um. And so, correct me if I'm wrong. Is the was it the XE two series that they added the uh, their new haptic feedback, the crazy
1: one? Yeah, that was not in the smaller uh, one. There was, and There's I think that was things. a good thing. Yeah, because. <laughs> It was quite aggressive
0: on the XE2 Premium. It is. It's it's overkill. Um, yeah.
1: This one just has a very good haptic motor rather than a crazy powerful haptic
0: motor. Mm-hmm. All right. So number three for myself, uh, a shout out to uh, staff writer, uh, Dean Daly. Um, I'm not a huge fan of Huawei's phones, but I think... It's fair to say, like they really had a stellar year, uh, and they capped it off with the May 20 Pro. Uh, by all accounts, this is one of the most advanced phones on the market today. Uh, you have from incredible uh, camera features to some more gimmicky features, like the ability to wireless charge.
2: He loves that feature so much. He was doing it yesterday.
0: Dear God. <laughs> uh, anyway, Dean. Dean. That's who I was. Yeah, not to myself. <laughs> uh, People, listen, it's USB-C. You can just connect your phones with (laughs) USB-C and it'll work faster and better. But, you know, if wireless charging is your thing, then this is the phone for you. Um, I think this is the phone that is going to, you know, I have my issues with EMUI. Uh, It's not for me. Uh, But I think this is the phone that really is going to kind of, we're going to see everyone trying to catch up to it in some ways over the next 8 to 12 months. Um, and so for that reason alone, I think it deserves a spot on this list. Patrick, number two.
2: Number two.
0: Um, so I have I have my qualms
2: with, with Android, but I, I really, really liked the Pixel 3 XL, um, if only because the camera is so far ahead of anything else out there. Um, I used to prefer Apple's uh, photography and the way that mm-hmm. Apple processes photos because I think it was a little more... True to life, and com- compared to like Samsung's camera, um, in terms of after processing, but the Pixel Three, particularly with Night Sight, is just something that I haven't seen before. It was almost the first time that I used Night Sight. It was almost like this this magical moment. It sounds cheesy, but like that's the mm-hmm. first time in a long time that I felt that with a smartphone, let alone any tech product. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just able to take photos under not even low light almost no light at all in a way that I've never seen before um, and even the camera just overall the way that it shoots images is far ahead of what far ahead of what what Apple's doing
0: Daniel you have you've done a lot of uh, comparisons between just the iPhone how the iPhone takes pictures as a part of work you've done with iMore and then comparing it with other Android phones what do you have to add to that?
1: Yeah, I, I don't love the way Huawei processes photos. I think mm. it's, um, you know, it, it airs on this sort of very social media friendly um, color science where it blows out the highlights uh, in favor of preserving the shadows. Mm. Um, it, it, its HDR is completely overbearing and looks fake. Um, but the versatility of the Mate 20 Pro, I think, overcomes a lot of those science, like IQ limitations. And mm-hmm. I think that can be tweaked with software. Um, I do think it's a shame that Huawei emphasizes its master AI feature so much because it doesn't add anything to the photos, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I like the phone. I think it's overall, you know, it's a good product. I, I, the reason it's not in my top three is um, I had a lot of problems with the biometrics. Oh, interesting. It did not like my face. It did not like my thumb. It just did not let me in too didn't, many times. Didn't
2: Dean have the same issue with the, the facial recognition software? I think um, he
0: did. Yeah, and I think, so I think, you know, quite honestly, that is, uh, you know, if we're, it's an issue where, like, the vast majority of developers, whether it's on Huawei or um, it's essentially white developers on the Western side and then you have yeah. Asian developers and then they don't like build software that accommodates people of color. Right. And so I think that's where a lot of like, unfortunately his issues come from. I don't know what your issues stemmed from, but I'm my a terrible I'm a, software.
1: I I'm a white guy. Yeah. Uh, and I don't know if it has anything to do with, with um, you know, skin color or bias of, you know, machine learning bias in any way um, I'm gonna give Huawei, like I gave Apple and other companies, the benefit of, the benefit of the doubt here, um, but software updates have not improved it for me. Not to mention the fact that removing its Face ID clone uh, itself, like the thing, in-display fingerprint sensor, is just bad. Mm-hmm. Uh, the tech wasn't ready for prime time. I, it's true of the OnePlus 6T. It's true of the Mate 20 Pro. It's true of the Xiaomi Mi. Me8 Pro, like all of the products that had in-display fingerprint sensors, should have waited a year, in my opinion, for the ultrasonic sensor. for the, for, for whatever future yeah. generations, I think even the optical sensor, the third generation one that comes out next year, will be com- will be much better, and much more reliable. Is that a
2: Qualcomm sensor? No, this no. is
1: this is a syna- I think it's a Synaptic sensor that's used by most of these companies. Um, it was shown off during CES, and then they iterated it later on that this year. Uh, the other problem too is that in-display fingerprint sensors are susceptible to weather extremes. So mm-hmm. these products are tested in environments where the climate is temperate. That's not true in Canada for nine months of the year. So when I got my OnePlus Six T, the the fingerprint sensor stopped working the first day it went below zero. Yeah. It sucks. <laughs> because it's an optical sensor and your finger the the, the fingerprint changes when it it, it contracts when you're mm-hmm. cold. And mm-hmm. I think that's an issue that these companies didn't take into account. So, I don't know. Anyway, the, that phone is troubling to me because it's got so much potential mm-hmm. left on the table.
0: Right. Uh, so, just to shift gears, um, to uh, so both Pat and I picked the Pixel 3. He picked the Pixel 3 XL. I picked the Pixel, the Baby Pixel mm-hmm. because Baby Pixel is love. Um, <laughs> where does the Pixel fall on your or does it fall? It does. Tolerance?
1: It's it's coming up.
0: Okay. Is I, it your number two?
1: It is not my number two. Okay,
0: okay. So how about we save more of our thoughts on the Pixel for when we get to Dan? Sure, that works. Um, what is your number two, Dan?
1: My number two is the Samsung Galaxy Note Nine. Um, it's uh, you know I in in the intro I didn't mention it, uh, but I I'm Android Central's managing editor. Uh, we picked the Galaxy Note Nine as a as a company as a as a site for a phone of the year Um, largely for the same reasons a lot of people picked it as phone of the year it does nothing badly it's a very well-rounded phone it's big and that may be an issue for some people in that case get the galaxy s9 or s9 plus but this is the year that samsung really stopped flaking in any categories Um, at the same time you know, it's, it's got a reliable camera that's not the best by any means, but it gets the job done in most situations. In fact, I would say that if you're into macro photography, Samsung will give you the best photo out there, period. But otherwise, it just does everything really well. But the Note 9 is standout in camera. It's standout in screen. It's standout in performance. Um, and the S Pen is still one of those accessories that people take for granted, um, I don't use it all the time when I'm using the phone, but I like it when I have it.
2: Did you like the, the shutter feature that the S Pen had?
1: I used it for the self first taking selfies because it's awkward to hold a phone yeah, yeah. that big. Uh, but otherwise, no, I didn't really use it.
2: I found that I used it a lot when I was reviewing the phone to test it out. And yeah. then
1: after that, I never touched it again. And that's not something
2: I expected. I thought I'd like put the phone down and take photos that way, but I think it's a cool idea and I'm glad that they came up with it, but I just didn't find myself using it after finishing reviewing the device.
1: So I'm gonna I'm gonna sort of t- like sidestep a second to talk about um, some inherent limitations with how we as reviewers I think use phones. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a feature I think would get used a lot more once you get used to a phone and integrate it into your life on a more mm-hmm. permanent basis. Where it's this, it's the little things that you sort of build into your daily routine. Um, that we don't get to really do because we're we're moving on to the next thing so quickly, and I think that's a, a problem with with reviewing phones in general. But with a feature like that, um, I would expect that if I use the Galaxy Note Nine every day for six months, that would be a feature that I would try or at least. Make a concerted effort to integrate into my life. Yeah, I think that's fair.
2: Um, probably if, yeah, if I stuck with the phone for a longer period of time, I could see myself using it on occasion. That's definitely fair.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I
0: think it just speaks to, <clears throat> excuse me, it speaks to um, a wider issue, which is, you know, we're expected to be experts. On a bargo, right? So, a lot of these phones, we get them ahead of time. And I know this is inside baseball. I'm sorry. Um, We get these phones ahead of time and we're supposed to have some kind of intelligent opinion on them in, like, in some circumstances, less than a week. A weekend, right? Um, And it's like a real failing of our industry, right? Where.
1: Of our own creation. Of our own creation,
0: right? Where it's like you try and try to have something intelligent to say about these phones and yet it is so difficult like the pixel is a really great example of this right like so many of the issues that have come up since this phone came out like there are things that take time to discover right there's it's very unlikely unless you get some kind of a lemon that you're gonna know that it is terrible like it has this voice calling issue or whatever like myriad of other issues that have come up with it right
1: uh, it's also interesting that um, the gaming industry has moved away from providing scores on mm. for games on the day that they're released because there's this acknowledgement that games are not finished when they're released. Uh, at least some some yeah, sites have done that. There's
2: a bit of a movement to do like reviews in progress. Mm-hmm. So if online features aren't available during the review period. Um, typically, like I think Polygon has a policy where they they won't put a score on the on. They t- don't have scores it. at all. Well, anymore. yeah, they don't have scores at all now. But prior to that, they wouldn't attach a score to it until um, until they were able to actually try out that feature. Uh, but that, that's interesting. I, I don't know how that would be applied to what we all do um, sitting around at this table right now. Uh, but I, it, it would I definitely think just be a more, fascinating concept
0: yeah like a more general recommendation like is this phone worth your money right like, scores suck like i, I yeah. hate giving
2: things scores but I, I still think that it's something that readers, readers want to see and readers expect I, I think maybe you could train them to not expect that anymore perhaps and i think that's what polygons trying to do
1: a google trains us to Google uh, requires scores in the sense mm-hmm. that if you have a that's score true. attached to your article it's going to prioritize it yeah, uh, over mm-hmm. ones that don't so in a, in a sense it's Google's fault for its algorithm uh, its fault for not for, for punishing articles that don't have it but at the same time um, you know we're we're in a position where as Igor said like we're, we're we have to give, Authoritative statements about a product. Where I think now we're in a position where we're 10 years into the smartphone, um, you know, ecosystem, yeah, and everybody has their own opinions on what they like, and reviews are not that helpful because they either reinforce or, um, or, or, or argue against people's inherent biases, and that. Is not helpful as much. It's not nearly as helpful as it used to be. I think a lot opinion. of
2: people read reviews too to like they 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 already purchased the product and they kind of want their own purchase backed up. Like I, I see totally. that a lot.
0: Yeah, you see. I mean, I certainly saw that when I published our Pixel review, which is I think the vast majority of people who commented had no interest in the Pixel. Right, their only interest in it was to like dump on it. Well, that's when I review any Apple product, right? Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I,
1: that, I I came up in that world. Um, and it was it was interesting seeing the evolution of uh, how, you know, the core audience, the people who visit the site every day and really spend time on every article, how they would perceive um, the quality of a review, not based on the quality of the review, but of the reviewer. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, that's that's just kind of. This is so inside baseball now, but it's, it's, I think it's really interesting because we've reached that point of maturity where every phone is good and Mm -hmm. every review is fairly homogenous. And in order to differentiate yourself, you either have to be insanely clickbaity, right? Mm -hmm. Or on YouTube, try to find something that differentiates it. How much of that early Huawei Mate 20 Pro coverage was about the reverse wireless charging? Right. Yeah. And it's it's that is the most gimmicky of all of its features. And yet it got the most press because it was the way that Huawei got into the conversation. Hmm. Um, And then once the phone came out, nobody cared about it. They just cared about the stuff that was really important, which was the camera and the performance.
0: Okay. after that, (laughs) Sojourn, you you came here for a top three list. You instead got a discourse on the f- perils of reviewing a phone in 2018. I
1: think it's really important because when we rank products like this, we have to include these kinds of caveats. Yeah, totally. You know, it's so important that we give people an explanation of how we came to these conclusions. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, they're just arbitrary picks. Yeah. So you're welcome. <laughs> um,
0: so I believe... Now, correct me if I'm wrong. Daniel just shared his second pick. Did you do your second one? Uh, I picked three, but we're going to talk about oh, the Pixel. I think the Pixel deserves almost its own segment uh, for a variety of reasons. Uh, not only because, I mean, if only because to start uh, with the fact that I think we all picked the Pixel in some shape or form mm-hmm. on this list. Pat, what is number one for you? My number one, and I'm sure this will be a controversial
2: choice, is the iPhone XR, Um I place a lot of stock into how a phone looks when it when I'm sort of evaluating them. Um, and it, to me, the iPhone XR featured the best of the 10S and the 10S Max. Sure, it was missing a couple of features that I don't think the average Apple user is really going to care about. Um, and there's also the controversy surrounding the LCD display, the fact that it's sub 1080p, um, which is something that's difficult to defend. But... I still think it looks like a great display. Uh, The color was great. I don't really buy the like liquid retina sort of moniker that Apple is throwing out um, for the like little notch that they cut out in it. But the phone in general, I think was a really good smartphone. Um, I think Apple probably priced it a little too high, uh, considering they're positioning it as almost their entry level device. I know some
1: people are.
2: argue that the iphone 8 or the iphone 8 plus was the entry level um but i really like the colors i thought the colors w- attracted the audience that that phone is going after which is not the people that want a very technical not the people that care about like specs that that's not who this phone is for every single person that i showed it to that uses an iphone so someone like my mom or or my partner um said that they would choose that phone over the iPhone 10s or the 10s max because they really like the color of the device and because it has uh, most of the features that those two more expensive devices have. Like it takes good photos. it can do most of the cool lighting stuff that the iPhone 10s and 10s max can do. Um, in many ways, it's the best phone for the average
0: Apple user. I'm really glad you picked the 10R because I think it is there's a lot to unpack with that phone. Um, and it is somehow like very, I also think representative of, of like the zeitgeist in the sense of like Apple at this moment under uh, Tim Cook um once you're done with your email, Daniel, I would love if you offered your opinions
2: and it wasn't a perfect phone like by no hundred percent no not a perfect by no phone. means no I could talk about like how much I didn't like about it for a really long time, mm-hmm. but. When I, when I sort of pull back and, and take my, like, I'm really into Specs hat off, I can see it being one of the best phones of 2018 for the average smartphone user. And I think that's why it landed on the top for me.
0: Yeah, I mean, uh, for me, like, you know, I will, I will just quickly say this about the display. Like, um, there was, uh, and I should have checked his name uh, before I got onto the podcast, but uh, a writer for the Washington Post, he and I believe... It was Popular Science and CNET. Uh, They did kind of a study in which they looked at the battery life of modern phones. And the iPhone XR was the only one that had better battery life than some of its 2017 uh, predecessors. Um, And you know what? I will take the sub 1080p display from Apple any day of the week over like an equivalent 1080p display from an Android manufacturer. If only because Apple has the color science down to a, like an art form at this point, where they make some of the most color accurate and vibrant displays in the industry. Anyway, Daniel, I turned the mic. You over. yield the floor. No, I, I, yeah. I
1: agree. I think it's uh, I I haven't used a 10R. I've seen it, um, and I I understand it's it's uh, it's it's necessity. Um, I think in Canada it's still overpriced, but everything Definitely. is overpriced here. So it's hard to argue that $1000 is too much money when pretty much every phone that's not a budget device is within that realm. Um you know, let's look at the let's look at the way that it's priced um in the US. You know, it's it's what 799 compared to 999. Mm-hmm. Um you know, it's a full $200 less than the 10 10S as as Pat said, you don't lose a lot. Um Part of me, the the part of me that watches a lot of video, and I do watch way more video now than I did a year ago, is not happy with the fact that you can't get 1080p video. Like you cannot even reach that point on this phone. It's somewhere between 720 and it is, 10, yeah, it's like eight seventy. Some weird, P? It's, it's, some weird. It's, P. Yeah,
0: it's closer to 1080p than it is
1: to 720, but it's still not 1080p. And I
2: think I think YouTube videos downgrade to seven. Twenty on it i believe
1: i i'm I wouldn't i wouldn't doubt it i mean i'm sure it shows you that it's 1080 but as igor said the screen is good it's very very bright uh you don't really have to pixel peep and if you if you're pixel peeping a phone you're not buying a 10r like yeah, you're exactly. buying you're <laughs> yeah. buying a 4k you know it's, you're it's a not, different audience it's a totally different audience and i think you know we have to acknowledge that um as Android-focused as a lot of the really diehard f- smartphone fans are, um, the iPhone has f- 50% of the market in Canada and more of that in the U.S. It's about 52 to 48. Um, in the rest of the world, Android dominates. It's, it's, it's a fact. But in North America, the iPhone is still king as the, as the single most popular phone out there. Uh, by a long shot, I mean, if you look at say the Galaxy S flagship, that has 20 to 25 percent market share at most, um, and then the rest of it is spread out between all the other Android phones. So, Apple's doing something right here um, in terms of introducing a value-conscious product. This isn't really that. Like, you're not looking at a, at the a 10R as a budget device. I I don't know, Pat. For the size though, like you've used the 10S, the 10S Max. The 10 R, do you find it to be the like a happy Goldilocks medium between the two? Yeah,
2: I, I think I did find it to be pretty much a happy medium, medium between the two sizes. It, like I, I'm used to using big phones now, right? like I, I talked about how I really like using the 10s max. I don't find it too big. Um, I think the 10 R display feels a little bit bigger than some people might expect simply because the bezels have been minimized. They're still bigger than they are on the 10s max and and the 10s. But you get that little bit more of screen real estate in a body that's, I think, relatively the same size as the the iPhone eight. Right. Um, so it, I I think it does it does fit that middle ground pretty well.
1: Yeah. And it's gonna it's gonna sell. You know, it's interesting because we've we've been hearing all of these um, supply chain reports. supply chain r- rumors and and the fact that Apple has discounted and incentivized trade ins for the X for the ten R is fascinating because you would expect this phone to be selling really, really well.
0: I think, so if I can just quickly just jump in there, I think where I'd like to take this conversation is I think this phone is also important because it is somewhat like an inflection point on kind of the Tim Cook strategy that has dominated Apple products for the last couple of years, which is, you know, include, increase the average selling price, right? And I think, you know, that we're finally starting to see that strategy backfire, right? Where the, I believe in the US, the iPhone 10s uh, is $100 more expensive than the iPhone 10 was, right? Um, and, you know, yes, it is, quote unquote, a better phone, it has a new chip, but for all intents and purposes, it is just a replacement of the previous model. Anyway, Daniel, I interrupted, I'm sorry, continue.
1: No, I I, hey. I think that, that's a good point. Um, the only thing I would add to that is the 10R at 799 is still more expensive than most of the older iPhones that mm-hmm. people are going to be replacing. Mm-hmm. So if you're coming from a six or a six plus or a seven, you know those were still 699, 799 products. Mm-hmm. So you're not you you as as Apple loves to do, they're cannibalizing their own product line. And with this, I don't think they're stymieing their um, their ASP if only because if you're if you're going to be upgrading to a an a 799 or 999 or you know $1100 iPhone you're still upgrading to a more expensive product mm. um, and they understand that it's it's either people may not be if if the iPhone 10R didn't exist there's a chance that they may go over to a Samsung or something else so it's there because they want to catch people who See the iPhone 10s and 10s Max is too expensive and out of reach, hmm. and that's a really good place to be.
2: I, I do wish that it was slightly cheaper in the Canadian market. I think it would probably perform far better here if it was a few hundred dollars cheaper.
0: I mean, we'll. I, I think we'll see, like in the new year, how all of that pans out. I, uh, I mean, certainly, I know in some other regions in Japan, for instance, they the carrier subsidies have increased for the 10R because it was actually the iPhone 8. I was cannibalizing 10R sales there. Oh, yeah. <laughs> right. So I know people that have bought an iPhone 8 over the 10R and uh,
1: yeah.
2: the XS Max simply because they can get it for less money here.
1: Or because or, it's a smaller phone mm-hmm. and they mm-hmm. miss the Touch ID. Like that's some there's something to that argument as well. Right. Um, you know, I'm I'm in the process of upgrading my my wife's iPhone 7 to a, an iPhone 10 and she's reticent to, to, to make that change. Not only because she loses Touch ID, but because the phone itself is bigger. It's significantly bigger. Mm -hmm. Uh, To to us, it may not be bigger. But because she's been using an iPhone 7 for three years, two years now. It's a big jump. It is a big jump. And it's hard to use with one hand, especially, you know, there are so many considerations about the way that people use their phones that we have to take into account. Um, And she's used to using her phone in one hand while doing other things, more recently holding our baby and you need a phone that you're going to be confident will a survive a drop and B you're going to feel comfortable typing a message or, you know, opening an app and doing and scrolling through Instagram with one hand and the iPhone 10R may just be too big for that.
0: I think also like, uh, you know, this is something I've thought about a lot and discussed in previous podcasts. I think as much as, you know, Apple's gestures are the best, it still adds a layer of abstraction for the average user that is, it it takes a while to get used to, right? Like, especially when you had for so long the comfort of the home button and that kind of, like, let's say, interface flow was so simple, right? And now you have to learn these, like, how do I multitask? How do I pull down the uh, quick settings menu? Like, once you get used to them, they are excellent and certainly better than, like, you know, uh androids I, I i don't even know how to describe it multitasking menu without swearing <laughs> when
2: when i go back to use like uh my partner she uses uh, an iphone 8 plus and if i pick up her phone and i like it, it's a conscious thing that i have to do to go back to the way that multitasking used to work to go back to the way that i would jump between apps even closing an app i find that really really difficult Jury, that's not something yeah. that i expected um, cause the first time that I touched the iPhone 10 at an Apple, at an Apple event, when I went hands on with it, I, I thought it was brutal. I, I couldn't figure out how to do anything. I spent like five minutes just trying to get multitasking to work properly because it requires this very specific gesture. Um, but then after getting my hands on it and using it more frequently, it, it started to feel natural, but there is that like period of time where you, you sort of have to get up to speed with it and you have to wrap your head around how it all works. Cause it's different. There's, there's a learning curve to mm.
1: it. Not to mention the fact that um, my gallery is just full of accidental screenshots. 100% me <laughs> yeah, like, too. Because, you know, why would you have another button? It just, you know, it's, it, that's the kind of thing. It, 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 there are so many um, vexing design mm-hmm. decisions that were made mm-hmm. when transitioning away from the home button mm-hmm. that we, like, they were just engineers going, okay, we don't have a choice What's mm. what's the what's the decision that's going to cause the least amount of friction? Let's go with that as opposed yeah. to removing the friction altogether. Mm-hmm.
0: There's an entire episode I feel that could be devoted to Android's uh, Quick Task uh, multitasking uh, uh, gesture, but we'll leave that for a separate episode. Um, last but certainly not least, we have number one, um, Pat. What was number? Or you uh, my, had number mine one. Was the 10R. Sorry. Yeah. Yes. Sorry. It's been. It's been a great podcast, but it's been a (laughs) winding one. Dan, what was number one
1: for you? Well, it's going to be no surprise. It's the Baby Pixel 3. Um, It's hands down my favorite phone. It was my favorite phone the moment I got it. Um, It did not experience the bugs that other people uh, claim to have experienced. I did really appreciate the um, careful decisions that google made in uh in adding features to the phone without removing any of that simplicity i'm of the minority i believe that actually likes the gesture system on uh the pixel 3 better than the previous version if only because once i got used to it it now feels very intuitive to swipe between apps very quickly Mm -hmm. um and once you get over that two-step app drawer Mm -hmm layer uh it does become quite and and what I've done is I've actually found that uh, the five apps that Google shows you when you so good update when you when you open the multitasking menu they're always one of the apps that I want to use is always in that list it just mm-hmm. knows like w- before I go to bed my alarm app my clock app is always there even if I haven't touched the clock app in you know almost twenty four hours mm-hmm. um, you know it's the same thing it just it knows what I want to use, and it shows me the app, and I don't often need to go into the app drawer anymore, and it's those kinds of small um, improvements that, are, that, that feel deliberate and careful and thoughtful, and to me, that just makes the Pixel 3 the best phone I've, I've used this year.
0: So, some of your colleagues have confided in me in person that you are a, Pixel or a baby Pixel apologist. What do you say to that? True. <laughs> okay. There we go. <laughs> it is absolutely true I'm, that's great you
1: know, like let's 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 call a spade a spade. We have our we have our biases. we all like what we like and I am 33 years old. I have a baby. I don't want to change phones every day because it's it's painful to mm-hmm. do that now. I want phones that work and I want things that are additive mm-hmm. to my life. And what that means is that I'm I'm done fighting with my tech. Mm-hmm. And the Pixel Three lets me do what I want, get on with my day, and 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 at the end of the day, I still have battery in my phone, and that's all I that's all I need. Mm-hmm. So, there you go.
0: I am much of the same mind. I loved the Pixel Three for all those reasons. Um, it just felt, you know, I like a lot of people when the kind of leaks first came out. I was like, well, like this doesn't seem like so interesting. And I think what that reminded me of is, you know, to use a tech product, so much of it is you have to wait and actually experience it firsthand because especially with the Pixel, but for every phone, like 50% of the story is software, right? And the when it comes to software, really on the Android side at least, like the Pixel is second to none. There is no like there is no phone that comes close to it. Um, and when I finally started using the Pixel, I really appreciated, learned to appreciate it anyway. It's all just the minor things that Google had done to make using that phone easier. Like one very small example is when you pull up the art drawer. It has that kind of suggested apps section. And I've not there's not been a situation where I don't think it has accurately predicted the app i wanted to use that's how good some of the predictions and software is with this phone and you know forget about the spec sheet i think just for most people this is such an incredible phone to use do you think
2: the various issues that have popped up since the phone's released are any of them serious enough that the average person going out to buy a pixel or a pixel 3xl would actually care about them
0: I think so if only because, like, when a something like this crops up, it feels like the end of the world, right? Like, because it is your one phone. It's different when you, like... You know, if my Pixel were to, like, crap out, I could just use a different phone, right? Like, that's not a, that's not a privilege that other people have. But, Dan, you wanted to add something to that.
1: I agree. I mean, mm-hmm. I didn't experience those issues, and therefore it didn't taint my experience. Yeah, neither did my I. My experience, but if... Um, in the two months before Google released its December patch and fixed the majority of the major bugs for the phones, uh, I did experience those problems, and some of them were severe. I would have thrown my phone into the ocean. And the not, voice not calling back. issue
2: was was a pretty big deal. Yeah,
1: every, I mean everything could have been a major problem, and Google needs to get its QC under control. It just does. It has. It, it this is the this is the company that builds Android, releasing a a phone every year that is plagued with more bugs than any other Android phone. I mean it's it's not acceptable. So, yeah, I mean I'm a I'm a Pixel 3 apologist in the sense that um I experienced I had a great experience, um but I'm also extremely critical of Google for not getting its software quality under control. Um and it's it's one of those things where this happens year after year. It is mm-hmm. not a sing. This is not the first time. It's the third time, right? It's the third time in a row that Google has had these issues. So stop releasing beta software on finished hardware. Thank you. Um, last. So this is my number one pick. I'll just go
0: through it, and then you guys can throw in your thoughts on it. Um, I picked the my favorite phone of the year was the One Plus Six, but I think the most significant phone of this year for me was the 6T despite its issues and I will say a caveat, it wasn't so significant in the Canadian space as it was in the American space. You know, the addition of a partnership with T-Mobile and then band 13 support, which opened up this phone to Verizon um, just capped off what was like an incredible, not only year, but five year run for OnePlus, where now this company is really positioning itself really positively into the future. Um, And, I just think, you know, there are obviously with the OnePlus, as there have always been issues, I wish it had a better haptic engine. I wish it had an official IP rating. But overall, it is such for the price and especially in a market like Canada, where it is like there are very bargains are few and far between. With the OnePlus 6 and the OnePlus 60, you get so much phone for a reasonable amount of money, I think. And it's just hard to beat. What did you think of the in-display fingerprint sensor?
2: I, I like. I, I tried the... What was the one that we just got in? I got you the McLaren one. So I've been playing around with that. I haven't really spent enough time with it to form a, 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 a an expansive opinion on it. But the animation for the, the fingerprint sensor was pretty sick. It's over the top in all
0: the best ways. <laughs> um, yeah, you know what? It's If I'm being perfectly honest, it's trash. And I thought like the 6T at best was like a lateral upgrade. <laughs> like, uh, But... You know, OnePlus is going to OnePlus, and, you know, this was a way for them to market this phone on T-Mobile. It's the first one in America with an in-display fingerprint sensor, which not even Samsung or Apple could say, right?
1: Yeah, here, here. I mean, you you nailed it. Um, this is, the 6T was a worse phone than the 6, but a mm. much more important one. Mm-hmm. And the legacy of, of that, of those two phones together, um, is going to propel the company into... 2019, where it stands next to companies like Samsung and Apple, which is something that Crazy. LG and and uh, and and, and HTC and even Google would would kill for. Hmm. And they've done this basically by doing everything that they could to be like sneaky and snarky and sarcastic, hmm. and and almost shooting themselves in the foot from a marketing perspective. And yet they've recovered every time. And they've done it better the next time. And they've just been able to get every time they've dug a hole, they've 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 like done an amazing job at getting out of it and then and then building a higher wall. I don't know, like the whatever metaphor you want to use. But they've done a really good job um, becoming part of the mind share Mm -hmm. as much as they have with releasing the phones.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, just to kind of illustrate this. At so many points at its history, OnePlus could have become essential, right? Where it was like, we're selling this phone for $200 because we like need to get rid of it, right? With
2: the like, in, the invite system. and Yeah, like at beginning. so
0: many points. Anyway, um, we're over. Uh, Samir is just laughing at me. But I think it was the type of podcast that really deserved us going over. Uh, shout outs. Pat, starting with you, because yeah, you have one. Yeah, uh, I got one prepared. It's, it's written up for, for
2: first time ever. Um, so I just wanted to send a shout out to the guy who hacked my Spotify account <laughs> for introducing me to a wide variety of pretty awesome Tunisian rap. What? So my, my account uh, got hacked yesterday. Uh, I, well, I think it happened like overnight because I woke up in the morning to an email from Spotify saying that my email had been changed uh, to a random email that I didn't recognize. Uh, So I reached out to Spotify on Twitter, didn't get a response for a couple hours, finally got through. They sent me a link to their customer service page, got on a chat with someone um, and they reset my account. But for those like, I think roughly 10 hours, this guy had my account and I couldn't get back into it because Spotify doesn't have two-factor authentication. There there There's no phone number I could put in. There's no secondary email for recovery. He had changed my email. So there was literally no way for me to get in. Um, And when I got back into it, uh, they told me that I could reset the recently listened to and and playlists that were saved in there because he had messed up a bunch of stuff. So I, I reset the playlist, but I, I kept the recently listened to uh, just as uh, commemoration for his his failed efforts.
1: Good for him, honestly, if you're that tenacious to get into somebody's Spotify account he he had it like all set up, man. like he had playlists, he had saved songs. he was
2: like he was in it for the long haul. This wasn't a short- term thing for him. Wow. He also destroyed my, because like, I had a, a, family, a family account too. So everyone who was on my family account was removed as well. So then I had to like re-invite them all. And he had invites sent out to a bunch of his friends, but none of them had accepted them yet. So I had to like, cancel all the invites. It was a, it was a fascinating experience in, in password security and, uh, and the need for two-factor authentication.
0: My shout out then goes to uh, 1Password because it is the only password manager you need. 1Password, I should say AgileBits does not sponsor this podcast, (laughs) but they are based in Toronto and you should get their product. It's really good. It's great. Daniel, what's your shout out?
1: Um, My shout out is to uh, the perfect and delicious drink, Coffee. (laughs) Um, I have been powered by Coffee for the past three and a half months um, I drink far too much of it. I make really good coffee. And if you ever have the pleasure of being invited over to my house, I will make you coffee in a Chemex using my, um, my uh, uh, gooseneck kettle. And uh, it's not only a delicious beverage, but it is beautiful to watch. So uh, shout out to coffee and all of the roasters that are making uh, your beans this holiday season because they are working overtime.
0: In the spirit of 2015, one more shout-out. Uh, shout-out to Derek Broussard. Uh, <laughs> uh, on that note, uh, where can everyone find you guys? Uh,
1: you can find me at JourneyDan on Twitter and Instagram and at AndroidCentral.com. Thanks so much for letting me guest host. That was a real pleasure. I think people will really like it.
2: You can yeah. find me on MobileSurf.com as always, and also on Twitter at, at Patrick underscore O'Rourke.
0: I'm At Igor Bonifacic, where I tweet about palm patents. You did. You
2: have been tweeting a lot about those.
0: Yeah, it's been fun bringing back the ghost of palm. And uh, yeah, Mobile Syrup is at Mobile Syrup, whether it's on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter. Uh, We'll see you next week. Until then, Merry Christmas to one and all. And uh, if you're celebrating some other holiday, happy holidays. See you soon.